Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would, to our verse tonight, we're going to continue to consider in 1 Peter 2.24, 1 Peter 2.24 is going to be our point of focus tonight as we zero in on the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.24, let's pray. Father, do, Lord, as we open our Bibles, we pray you would open our hearts. Open our hearts to see wondrous things in your word about our wondrous Savior, the Lord Jesus. Help us to see him now in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, so here we are in 1 Peter 2.24. Now this verse we studied a little bit before, but it says here, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Now we looked at this verse before, you may remember, and we focused at that time on the words his own, his own self, his own body. And what we did is we considered this aspect of the Lord about himself. It was his own self, that himself alone that bore our sins. He bore our sins all alone. He didn't have any help from anybody else when he bore our sins. Actually, no one could actually bear our sins. No one could help him, and in fact, no one could because the reality is he was the spotless, without blemish, Lamb of God, God who became man. No one else could do that, but also no one else would have helped him, even if they could, because of the sins that he bore would just cause them to run for the hills. And so he was all alone when he bore our sins, and the truth that it was so amazing, and we see this really on the Mount of Transfiguration, because on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a group, and then all of a sudden, There's a cloud that comes down on him, and then when the clouds lifted, we read in Luke 9.35, Luke 9.35, and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. Jesus was found alone. That's a great scene for us because what it's really showing us is how this idea of Jesus by himself alone He takes our sins. He's standing there on the Mount of Transfiguration all alone. That's a wonderful, wonderful aspect of the cross, that he bore our sins all alone. That's what we were looking at. And actually, the cross, it's kind of like a diamond in the sense that when you turn it, you see one beautiful color, and then you turn it another way, and you see another beautiful color. Well, the last time, like I say, we saw this color of by himself, 
And now, but the cross has many wonderful angles to look at, to learn more and more, as Jason was saying, more and more about Jesus, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a unique privilege that we have. It's a unique privilege. We understand how unique it is for us. We understand what a privilege it is for us to find value in the cross. You know, we see that so clearly when we talk to a lost person about the cross. And when we talk to a lost person about the cross, first of all, the reality is their response is they don't understand. They don't understand the cross because when there's preaching of the cross, like now when there's preaching of the cross, the world finds it boring. It's no interest at all. And that's exactly what God said in 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18 explains, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. It's foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. How's that possible? How's that possible that the same preaching of the cross can have these diametrically opposed responses? How's it possible that the same preaching of the cross is foolishness to the lost, but powerful to the saved? What's the reason for that? What's the reason that we don't join the world in finding the preaching of the cross to be foolishness, as the Bible says? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ told us. He told us what the reason is when he said in John 7.38, John 7.38, he said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. That shows us something. Then it goes on in John 6, 16, 13, John 16, 13, when he speaks about the Holy Spirit, he says, how be it he, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So when the Lord Jesus Christ said, the Holy Ghost given, that means that we have a pretty special gift. We have a very special gift, and the world doesn't have that gift. That gift is the Holy Spirit. And it's what the Holy Spirit does for us that's so special, and it makes the preaching of the cross so powerful to us as believers. I mean, we learn so much from this verse in John 16, 13, when it says, the first thing we learn is when it says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come. The word he teaches us, the Holy Ghost, is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he, he's a person. And every believer has this person of the Holy Spirit living inside of him. Like it says in Romans 8, 9, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. He's none of his. And Galatians 4, 6 puts it this way. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And Romans 5, 5, Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. He's a gift. And Romans 8.15, Romans 8.15 says, 
you have received the spirit of adoption. You have received the spirit of adoption. Okay, now, the he in the Holy Ghost is so important because then it goes on and explains to us he is the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come. We need truth. We need truth today. We are surrounded by lies. We're just engulfed with lies. We especially need truth today. Why? Because the day we live in is referred to in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, when the Lord Jesus Christ was sitting, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples, it says, they came to him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. They ask him, what's the sign? The sign is mass deception. That's the sign. That's the sign, mass deception. The last days in which we live are days of deception when truth is needed. And our only hope of not being deceived is the spirit of truth. And that's why we're told that the spirit of truth will bring us into the truth And so he will guide you, as it says. He will guide you into all truth. That's a great word, guide, that Greek word, guide, hodegeos. And it's used in a very special place. It's actually used in the encounter with Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, there was this Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, if you can just picture this in your mind. There's this Ethiopian eunuch. He's struggling He's really struggling to understand Isaiah 53. He doesn't understand. He's struggling so much, he's thinking, maybe if I say it out loud, I can understand it. So he's citing it out loud. That's where Philip finds him in Acts chapter 8, verse 30. Acts chapter 8, verse 30, when it says, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should, and this is our word, guide me. How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read, which is from Isaiah 53, was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb dumb before her shearers, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus See, there's this poor Ethiopian eunuch there, and he's thinking, like I said, he's reading it out loud, Isaiah 53. He's trying to be able to understand it, and he knows there's something really important in this passage of Isaiah 53, and it's frustrating him because he doesn't know what it's about. And so Philip comes along, and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, he uses this word, guide, unless some person guides me, guides me. How can I do that? And Philip, when he guided him, he lovingly, led him along, he tenderly, he gently, he patiently guided this man to the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53. That's what a guide is. That's what this Greek word hodegeo means. Now, the same word is used, and you really see the tenderness of it. You really see the 
gentleness of it, when you see this word being used in Revelation 7.17, where it's not translated guide, it's actually translated lead, but it's the same word. And there's, here's how it goes. As I read this, just picture the gentleness and the tenderness of this in Revelation 7.17. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them. That's our word. Hodigeo shall lead them into living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So the Holy Ghost, he not only guides us into all truth, but he guides us with gentleness. He guides us with a patience. He guides us with tenderness. And he guides us also gradually. Just like when Jacob told Esau, I can't go with you because I've got young cattle, and if I go with you back home at that rate, they're gonna die, they're gonna have a real problem. So that's like the Holy Ghost. He doesn't overload us with truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John 16, 12, in John 16, 12, which is actually just before the verse we're talking about, and he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. You can't bear them now. There's so many things that I don't understand in the Bible. There's so many things that God has many things to show us, and he will show us as time goes on. And the spirit of truth will guide us into all truth gradually, gradually. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth, and he guides us into all truth. But what's this truth? What's this all truth that's being referred to here when it says he's the spirit of truth and he guides us into all truth? The all truth is given to us in John 14, 6. John 14, 6, when it says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What he's saying there is that the Lord Jesus is saying he is the truth. He is the truth. He himself is the truth. So when the Holy Ghost guides us into all truth, he's guiding us to know more and more and understand more and more about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what that means. So the Holy Ghost is guiding us to this person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We couple this together, you couple these truths together, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the truth, and he gently and tenderly and gradually guides us to him. So the Holy Ghost is doing that. He's doing that so that he can grow our capacity to understand the Lord Jesus Christ better. He's doing that so that he can grow our capacity to grasp the person of the Lord Jesus Christ tighter. He's growing us so that we increase our capacity for loving and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ better, better. It's all this moving forward. You know, and understand the Lord Jesus Christ better, to grasp him tighter, to love and obey him more, we have to be willing to put one foot in front of the other. We gotta be willing to go on from where we are, to move on. The Holy Ghost wants to guide us to see more of how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is, but we gotta be willing to go with him. We gotta be willing to study more about the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ can be discovered more today to be more wonderful than we knew him yesterday. And to make this discovery, though, we gotta be willing to look more at him and to study more about him. This is really just like the first settlers who came to America. When they came here, they arrived at Plymouth Rock. 
in Massachusetts. You know, it's kind of interesting you think about those settlers because they arrived and I wonder what they were thinking, you know, when they arrived at this place where there was this rock. I mean, they were thinking, I wonder how big this island continent is, you know? I mean, because they were just there. They had no idea. They had no idea when they arrived there of the vast beauty of America that was beyond their little outpost there on the shore of Massachusetts. When they arrived there, they didn't know anything about the beauty of the Great Lakes and the majesty of Colorado Rocky Mountains. They didn't know. They didn't know anything about the magnificence of the Grand Canyon, you know, or the expanse of the prairie lands, the greatness of the Mississippi River and, and the, the unending sky in Montana. And they didn't even know anything about Anzo Borrego Desert, you know, <laughs> and all the other beauties of America. They just didn't know. What did they know? They just knew their little outpost there in Plymouth Rock, but they love what they found so far. I mean, they're just a little fringe, little fringe population there on the edge of this great land of America, some places where no one has ever walked before, and they didn't know. But gradually, if they were willing to move on, which they did from Plymouth Rock, they would learn more and more about how beautiful America was that they landed on. That's a picture of what it means when the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, gradually guides us into all truth. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we landed on Plymouth Rock. We just landed there. And just like those settlers, they had no idea of the vast beauties of the length and breadth of America, the land of America. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ, we had no idea of how vast are the beauties of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're told, but the Holy Ghost says, you just come with me, you'll be willing to move, I will guide you, I'll take you all through them. Now, we're told about the Holy Spirit in this verse we're studying here in John 16, 13, John 16, 13, it says, he shall not speak of himself. He shall not speak of himself. Why? Because that's the mark of Satan. That's what Satan does. Satan speaks about himself. So Satan gets other people to speak about themselves. If a person today is in a church that only talks about the Holy Ghost and the works and the gifts of the Holy Ghost, that person's in the wrong church because John 16, 13 says about the Holy Ghost, he shall not speak of himself. He's not gonna speak of himself because the Holy Ghost is only gonna speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next verse says in John 16, 14, John 16, 14, it says, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Now, there's three words that describe what he does, what the Holy Ghost does, what he does. And the words back up in, in John 16, 13, John 16, 13, when it says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. See, those are the three words that describe the action of what the Holy Ghost does, what the Holy Spirit does. He hears, he speaks, he shows. And those beautiful words describe our calling as believers in life, our calling. The first one is hear, hear. We are to hear the word of God. It's a very special word in the Bible for hear in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word shema, shema. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament really gave a great description of what Shema means when he said in Luke 11:28, Luke 11:28, but he said, "Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it." That's a really important part. They hear the word of God and keep it. That verse is a description, a definition of the Hebrew word Shema, because Shema just doesn't mean to be aware of, to understand what it means, or to know with head knowledge. But the word Shema for the word of God, it has embedded within its meaning response. It's hear and respond, hear and respond. And that's what he was saying in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Shema is to hear and keep. It's maybe, I don't know, similar to our old English word, hearken. So that's why it's so vitally important for us to take quality time, to take a quiet time with the Word of God and to sit still and to read it every day and let God speak to us so that we can obey what we hear. That's why the daily quiet time is so valuable. We've got to have a time. There's got to be a time. There's got to be a place in each one of our lives where we meet with God with his word. Now, the next word is to speak. Next word describes what we do when we hear. We speak. I don't have a problem speaking. Anyway, that's me. All right, so the next word, it's our calling. It's to speak. What we learn from God is not designed for us to keep to ourselves, to hoard to ourselves. We're to help others by speaking, by speaking about what God has shown us and what we are obeying, not shown us, but what we are obeying. That's what is so important about the Great Commission when it says in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. You see, when Peter was tempted and he said to him in Luke 22, 31, Luke 22, 31, he said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's the idea. Strengthen thy brethren. So he teaches us. The Lord teaches us. We can, through the Holy Spirit, teach others. And then the third word, the great word, is show. Show. This is really along the lines of the gentle guiding, the tender guiding. It's not just tell them and leave them. This is show them. You know, for 14 years, my wife homeschooled our three boys. And when she taught them, is to watch her. When she taught them, she would explain and she would, you know, show them. And then she would stop and she would look at each one individually and she would say, as only a mother can do, she would say, do you understand? (laughs) And and they couldn't fool her (laughs) because, you know, that was her mother speaking. Okay. And this is what the priests did in Israel. This is how the priests taught in Israel. In Nehemiah 8.8, it explains in Nehemiah 8.8, it says, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. They didn't mumble it. They didn't say it with a low voice. They read it distinctly. It could be understood. And gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Read it with clarity so it can be understood. Then they explained what it meant. Then they explained what it meant. And then they confirmed that they understood In other words, they caused them to understand. Did you not understand? Let me me explain it some other different way. I'll give you a different analogy. See, their goal was that it would be understood. That's effective teaching. That's what effective teaching is. 
This is also, Paul said, the gospel is so great, I want it to be understood. So he said in 2 Corinthians 3.12, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Plainness of speech. You know, you know, not like some of our politicians, you don't know what they said. But he said, great plainness of speech. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 